Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I'm co-founder of Financing Solutions. Uh, for those of you who don't know us, Financing Solutions provides easy-to-set-up lines of credit for small businesses, and I will be your host for today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. If you are interested in learning more about a business line of credit for your business, well, over my 30 years, I've always had a line of credit, almost always, please visit our website at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Over the last 25 years, I've built six uh, companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, including two companies that have made the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. I love learning from people with business experience. And today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Chris Joyce from Gusher. Uh, Chris Joyce is the founder of 24 companies in high-tech consumer goods, health, and manufacturing. His products have been sold in more than 11,000 stores in 23 countries. He has users of his tech products in 148 countries around the globe. Chris, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. You know, very rarely do I ever have a guest who ha is as much, uh, and I'm not, I'm not trying to pump sure, myself yeah. up, uh, you know, as much uh, serial entrepreneurship experience as, as I do. And so, you know, 24 companies uh, that you've had, Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's exciting for me to speak to you. Uh, you know, I think we're, you know, I'd be really curious to, to hear what you're going to talk about today. Well, well, the first thing I noticed is your background with that it's six and going and everything else and what you're doing, there's going to be a lot of commonality. There's going to be a lot of overlap and really there's going to be perhaps some stuff that's kind of hard to understand, uh, for people who haven't done a good amount of companies, the patterns that we see, which is yeah, fundamentally I, different. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, can you really teach somebody like we're, today's topic is going to be the line, landmines once you pass the business startup phase, sure. right? Can you really teach somebody something that's going to happen to them in advance? I think, you know, I think the good thing is that they're aware of it. Right. Right. But, you know, business experience, like anything in life. I mean, you have a little snow on the roof. I have snow on my roof, you know. People really underestimate the value of experience. Absolutely. I think experience is the most valuable thing. And as to whether or not you, you can transfer that experience, in the very beginning stages, when I was starting companies in my 20s and, and early 30s, I didn't think it could be standardized. It was something that, you know, how do you cover every possibility? But once you reach, I think, a certain level of company starts and types, there are certain definite patterns oh, yeah. that, that aren't apparent when you're first starting a company. And they do repeat themselves across industry, across verticals, across company size, over and over and over. I don't know if you can see it, but I get goosebumps because it happens so often, almost like clockwork. Yeah, and I've said this in other podcasts too, and I'm sure you've seen the same way. I mean, you've done more business, uh, some more startups than I have, but uh, the uh, the the, the the sixth company I built was I we got it up into to speed in three months. What would have taken us three years? 
Sure. Right. You just knew, okay, I have to have accounting software. I have to have CRM software. Uh, okay. How are we going to gen- generate leads? All right. You know, how's the branding? How's the voice? How's oh, this? Oh yeah. Right. You know, what's, what's our, what, what is the purpose of our company? You know, what is our, right. what is, what are we bringing to the market that, that, that is unique in the marketplace? You know, you, you just go through that so fast because you're like, okay, I need this. I need this. I need this. I need this. And, you know, honestly, I, I I'll tell you is, the, the, the chances of probability of success for your organization to me is just so much higher, you know, I view, I view it like, like weight training or like exercise or any sport that you do uh, literally in the beginning of anything you suck. I mean, you're horrible at it. You don't know what's going to come at you from left field. You don't know the timeframes and the cycles that should be uh, taken to get something done. You learn that stuff. And as you progress in those things, you get better and better and better. You know, with business, we don't have really, you know, belt types and, and we don't have inner, a novice, intermediate and advanced and, and categories of it. Uh, you just proceed and you get better and better. And some people stop with one and they do these things one time and then they're done and it's over and they just grow and have it. And others of us, we're, we're born to do something different. We're born to really create companies and, and do things differently. And for us, it, it's really, I think, patterns, experience that enables us to then do them a hell of a lot more rapidly. Yeah. A lot I, better too. Yeah. Let me be clear too. There's two things I haven't done yet. I have, and I'm not going to do this, uh, this first one. <laughs> I am. I never took angel funding money. Okay. Yep. And during my day, that really wasn't a big way to generate money. It and didn't exist it. in early days. Yeah, not really. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, now every entrepreneur thinks that's the way they start the business, right? I, and, I think and, it's uh, ass backwards, but anyway. Yeah. Well, I think it depends on the idea. So sure. I think it depends on the idea. Sure. The second thing is, um, I, I really haven't sold a company yet for a significant amount of money. I, okay. you know, I've, uh, I have one right now that will be a sellable business and I'll be pretty excited. I can kind of check that off my checklist. Sure. Uh, but my business has always been very good cash flow businesses and quality. I, I wouldn't say, you know, quality of life businesses at $25 million isn't exactly a quality exactly. of life business, yeah, but yeah. you know, it depends on the industry always. But so uh, what about you? Have you raised, so you haven't raised money through angel funding or you had? I have. So we've done it through formal angel funding because nowadays it's very much like venture capital used to be. Uh, We did it also through really friends and family and stuff like that. But what we've always concentrated on almost from the beginning I've done is what I call the vested interest market, meaning that the people that have the most to gain from the success or failure of the company typically make up the best investors for the stuff that I do. So like, like, let me give you an example. When I started uh, a low carb food company, which ended up becoming the largest in the world, uh, I started that and I had nothing. I mean, literally 1200 bucks and started that company, started growing. Well, one of my investors ended up being the person that manufactured the food machines. Uh, That company isn't a formal angel investor. It's not friends and family. You know, they were the people that really had the most to gain. Another investor ended up being the packaging company. And so that company that manufactured the cartons and came out to our place basically had a full-time person there as we were growing. You know, these are companies that become embedded in what you do. And those are many times the the really best investors because, again, they have the most to gain uh, from the success or failure and they fundamentally get what you're doing. Yeah. So you and I have just jumped into the advanced (laughs) 
hot spare ship phase. So, sure. you know, most of our listeners are they're going to be uh, smaller businesses that are trying to, the purpose of this is to help them over 10 million. Yep. And again, the reason why I picked 10 million, just so our listeners know, I've said this in the past podcast, but is because I found that smaller businesses at 10 million is when other companies are starting to uh, be interested in you. You know, they're exactly. they interested in purchasing you. Uh, you. You have scale because you've, the owner's now not just doing everything, you know, so that's, you know, so when we get into our discussion right now about the landmines, once you pass the business startup phase, sure. Um, you know, let's, let's gear it toward, you know, companies in the millions of dollars. Um, uh, so tell me a little bit about your thoughts on the landmines that you're, that you've uh, experienced. Well, well, one of the, the most, and, and this is a regularly occurring thing, it doesn't happen daily, it doesn't happen monthly, it doesn't even happen necessarily yearly, but I always come across it with different companies that are different stages, usually about once every five to 10 years. And it's really the, the partner abandonment issue, meaning that there's fundamentally somebody else that this founder is tied to in some way. They may be a minority partner, they may be an equal partner because they structure their or their company incorrectly, but there's somebody there that basically abandons the business for whatever reason. It can be they're older, it can be they're sick, it can be they've lost interest, it can be get they get depressed or injured, whatever it may be, but they fundamentally abandon the business. And so that, that scenario right there tends to get pretty ugly depending upon how it happens. And so you would like to go ahead and have, you know, the relationships all nice, smooth and dandy and everything else, but we call those the landmine partners. And so just like uh, a regular physical landmine, imagine that you're this founder, you're out in the middle, a hundred miles in, in, in really the wilderness away from everybody. You're walking down this path and sure enough, you hear a click, you know, you're stepping on a landmine. All right. This partner didn't come in as a landmine partner, didn't go ahead and expose himself as a landmine partner. But here you now have two decisions. All right. If you stay there in the middle of nowhere, basically, chances are you're going to die because there's nobody there. And if you pull your damn leg off that landmine, chances are, well, you're going to be blown up. And who the hell knows if you're going to go ahead and come back from that. And that's something that we see all the time. And so navigating those scenarios becomes extremely difficult, insanely difficult. Are you a fan of, of the idea of having a partner or not having a partner? I, I believe in minority partners. Uh, I believe that when you go ahead and create a company that you're fundamentally building on an incorrect foundation, if you're doing anything that's equal, because almost always, from my experience, there is one partner that will do the vast majority of the work and the pulling of the sled up the mountain in the beginning stages. And one person that typically has a better vision or not a better vision, but is more married to a vision, more intense to it. It's like their child. The others are almost in a way along for the ride. And so in answer to your question, not equal partners. Yeah, it's interesting. So the first four companies I built um, I did not have a partner. I didn't want a partner. Right. I didn't. I, didn't, I heard so much horror stories. And then I, I um, then uh, uh, I started uh, financing solutions and another company I have called Elite Funeral Funding with another guy who sure. um, it's it's been an incredible uh, relationship. Like it's uh, I am so lucky that I found him. He's I know he feels lucky that I that he found me um, and. You know, we have very successful uh, companies and he's my best friend, you know, so, you know, like, and, but I still like 
going in. Uh, so, so when we started Elite Funeral Funding, we have uh, uh, two partners that are forty percent owners to yep. combined, and we own sixty percent of the company. And um, so, you know, I I still am. You know, listen, I'm not going to start another company. That's it sure. for me. But uh, I'm still very reluctant to bring on a business partner. And what I did with the business partner I have now is, I would say we, you know, we knew each other before, but we uh, we uh, did a trial so much partnership. I would say uh, we, we we for two and a half years we looked at angel funding deals together, right? And we started seeing how well we got along. So you know, a trial. But listen, anyone who's listening today, they're ready. Their company's already started. Yeah, they already have a partner. Exactly. Right. And, you know, it's just to me, it's just like a marriage. Um, I had a very successful marriage too. Um, the, uh, my wife passed but you away. S- you said the key phrase right there. I mean, it's a marriage. It's not it's a, a marriage. partnership. Right. And just like you did probably with your marriage, you didn't meet that person first day. And suddenly the next day you were married. Uh, you literally took it in stages. You you tried to see if it was a fit. You got to know the person. You probably knew why they were doing what they were doing. You knew their background. You knew how they acted in certain scenarios. Yeah. You had that. And that's when you get married. That's when you actually do a partnership, but never 50-50. All right. Yeah. And I did that with my second company. I did. I forgot that I tr- did a trial partnership where yeah. uh, we worked together. He, uh, They had their companies. I had mine. I worked in their offices and uh, I thank God I did that because it was, it would have been a nightmare. You know? Absolutely. And so you're right. I forgot, you know, you kind of do that trial partnership thing. Well, listen, if you're, but my point being is if you're already involved in a partnership, you have to work on that partnership, just like you have to work on your marriage. It just, you know, you have to go out for a beer. You have to have, you know, you have to kind of spend time together. Uh, if there's a real problem, you got to discuss it. So that's really, really important. So, so that's one of the landmines we talked about. Uh, you know, if uh, if you have a partner or if you're thinking about getting a partner, uh, you better uh, do a trial run. Make sure you you know everything. Try to be the majority owner. Uh, those, those type of things. What's Absolutely. another ma- landmine that you would say? Uh, and, and this is, comes down to a little bit of a landmine partner, but what the heck do you do when, when a partner just instantly you wake up one day and they've skipped town, but they've emptied all your bank accounts uh, because they were a signer on those accounts and everything else. Uh, I've actually run into that. And at this time it was affecting three different entities. And that's a, that's a very big fire to go ahead and go through. And it's something that that can really screw you up big time if you didn't build the right foundation. And so, you know, a lot of these problems can always be solved by knowing the right foundation to build, but you don't know that at the time you built the foundation. Yeah, you so, got. You know, I think you got a plan, right? Yeah. You got a plan. Like, and I'll give you the scenario. I'm going to try to make this short, but I was really worried for a long time about my business partner dying for any reason because he knows stuff about the company that I don't. And, and so I was like, man, if he goes, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. Right. Yeah. And I told him, right. And he's, uh, you know, and so I'm not going to get into all the details. So, uh, so, uh, the crazy part about all this is, so, uh, what happened to happening is, is actually pretty recent is my wife passes away and, um, and I, I, I'm a planner. Sure. So luckily, uh, you know, she, I kind of had things organized around the house so that if I go, right. she would be okay, right? Sure. Um, never thinking that 
if she goes, what would happen? And, you know, and so luckily we had done some of that work. So I knew where all the passwords were. I knew what all the documents were. We, we covered all the different things. So I tell you, I'm telling you, it was a big help. So I would say my advice, Chris, is if you have a partner, you got to go over, okay, what happens if this guy becomes incapacitated? What happens if we get in a fight? What happens if, uh, uh, you know, a variety of different things. What, what else? Also, that, that sets it up for the employees too, because the same processes that you're doing with those partners, you know, you can also be hurt by the employees. So you have to think about that, you know, the downside risk, how to protect it, how to standardize it, how to put those protocols in place so you're not screwed. I mean, we see all the time where SaaS-oriented companies, FinTech, uh, PropTech, anything that's requiring software, that you end up having a minority share holder end up going ahead and bricking the system to get what they want. And here's a person that has 5% of the company, 3% of the company, 10% of the company, suddenly acting almost in a way like they own 100% of the company and forcing the hand. You know, those are dangerous scenarios. So, you know, what we always do is we always have backup. We always have scenarios that we have access to. Yes, we may be down. Yes, we may be hurt. But at most, we're down for a certain amount of time and then we're back up. So nobody can hold us hostage. You know, those are just good scenarios. You have to think of how can I be held hostage? What's my Achilles heel? And then try to eliminate those scenarios, especially as you start approaching 10 million because you are now entering a different zone. You're you're becoming a middle market company. The stuff that worked for you to get to 10 million is not going to work for you to get from 10 to 50 or 100 million dollars. That is just to get to the 10 million dollar level. That shit isn't going to work after. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm lucky enough to know a lot of business owners, right? Sure. And and the thing I've noticed with business owners is as they progress, their companies got bigger. They got more and more organized. Sure. They got their processes and procedures down. They 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 had a scenarios covered. They weren't uh, held hostage by any one person. They 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 built a good team. You know, there wasn't so that you know, I got one guy that I know really well, he built a really good company and you know, he was anal about making sure HR policies were in place, about procedures were in place and documented that people were following those procedures. And, and you know what? And he, he sold his company for a really a lot of money because it was, someone came in and said, wow, this is, and I think he's got his shit together. He's, he's got, got his shit together. Right? Where somebody he, can, it, it becomes the company is the business, not, not him. him right? right. And we see, you hear that all the time. And I think there's so much value in, in you saying to yourself, as you're building your company, who, what would somebody from the outside look at at my company, and are we uh, 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 doing well in that area? You know, right. it could because if it's about you, let me tell you something. Your multiple for what they're going to pay for your company is going to now. The other benefit of it is it makes you a uh, uh, a better company to generate better re- uh, revenue and net profit. Too. Absolutely right. So I think right. there's a side. There's the that's the real value. Right. But also many times the founder that started the company and got it to 10 million isn't necessarily the person 
that thinks the way that needs to be thought to get it to that next stage. So they absolutely have to be involved in that. I mean, there's no way to do it without the founder. But having them sit there and create standard operating procedures for, let's say, the sales process, having standard operating procedures for, let's say, the way the lab works, having all these different things in place, they should oversee it. They should have their DNA in it, yes, but they're not necessarily the ones that create it. Many times we direct the companies that to bring in somebody that literally that's all they do. And there are people out there that literally standardize processes. And so they help take what you do in your day-to-day and they just basically quantify it and they give it order and it helps. And so many people, that that's a way to leapfrog that. Yeah, and I think too, one of the things I noticed too is Small businesses, like a million or $2 million, I've seen a lot of the business owners be control freaks. Sure. You know? And at $10 million, you can't do that. Like, l- l- now, listen, there's always the aberration, right? Steve Jobs was the aberration uh, of, of um, a control freak, right? And he got control taken away. Yeah, that's right. But he was, you know, it's also a billion dollar company. It's just, sure. you know, a lot of times the lessons that you learn from big companies, I've always felt they just don't apply at a $10 million level. You know, you could take yep. some things out of it maybe, but, but in general, my experience, somebody who's small says, oh, I have to do it all myself because I don't trust anybody to do it. And that's a sure sign that you are just not going to make it past a exactly. certain amount. That, that, that's death. I mean, the fact of the matter is I, I look back in, in, in how I created companies and how I create them now. And yes, I always started off as a lone wolf or a very small team where I was always mass majority stockholder. But what I do now is I put teams of people in place from the very beginning that have the experience, the depth of knowledge, et cetera, and I let them run with the ball. And, and that is the way to do it. I'm there to go ahead and provide the resources, uh, to provide uh, the sales validation, to go ahead and do, let's say, the capital side of things. But I'm not there to go ahead and cross the T's, dot the I's, and figure every last iota out because I'm not going to tell these people how to do their jobs. They're experts at what they do. And so, and what it enables you to do is to leapfrog generational development and grow your company a hell of a lot quicker. I mean, it just does. Yeah, I so let's talk about you said capital development stuff like that, and sure. I, I think that's one of the other areas that that I, I obviously uh, saw when I was building my companies, and that is so you have to learn the entrepreneurship stuff, which is you know the x the the, the um, x's and o's, right? Yep. You got to learn that stuff in all the you know uh, accounting systems, CRM entrepreneurs education. You got yeah, you know you got to right. have all that stuff, Basically. right? Which right. But the next thing that you, you have to get educated as you're going up is the world of finance, right? 100%. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm not just saying that because I have, I own a business that provides business lines. Yeah, of credit. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying that, which I, I really believe in, by the way, but um, you, you know, you got to know how am I going to fund this? How am I going to, you know, handle my accounts receivable? It could be factoring. It could be, sure. uh, you know, because wait till you, if you haven't dealt with the bank yet. Wait till you go and you see what they look at versus what you think they look at. Oh, yeah. Right? It's they're speaking a completely different language and you have to learn their language. Absolutely. So, you know, the shortcut to that is, and, and it's what I do, 
I, I find expert CFOs and I bring them in. You know, that's what they do. I know it. And they're able to talk to talk the vernacular. They put it in the right form, everything else, and they get it done at that stage. But the one thing is that when it comes down to companies at that size is the question is, all right, I'm going to go a little bit off tangent here or where, where I, I want to take it because there's a reason. When you're at start approaching $10 million, the question is, what do you need the money for? Are you doing certain things for expansion, standard things? But if you're doing a land grab, meaning that you're trying to do a, a bigger grab for territory, you're trying to dominate a market, you're trying to disrupt, then the, the, the things or the knowledge that you need to have in order to do that from a financial perspective are fundamentally different than even just the X's and the O's of finance. That becomes a whole different territory. Yes. So, and, and typically a company right at 10 million, they need those funds to go ahead and fuel that fire, to go ahead and do that land grab. And so I, I say land grab when you're trying to take over an industry, when you're trying to, to capture huge market share. That's a fundamentally even different way of doing things that almost in a way that you don't just need to have a CFO. You need to have a rainmaker CFO in a very specific vertical because that's even a whole nother language. Yeah. And I, I, I think there's you know, so there's, you know, everybody should know there's, you know, there the options that you have are factoring, not for what you're talking about, but factoring lines of credit with commercial banks, lines of credit with alternative lenders, uh, cash advances, dangerous, but uh, these are all smaller stuff for smaller yep, companies. Exactly. You have um, uh, business loans, home equity lines of credit, uh, refinancing your mortgages. Uh, you have uh, angel funding, fam- friends and family. You uh, uh, Then you get into venture capitalists. Yep. Um, and, and then- offices. It, What? Family offices, yeah, family institutional offices, right. funds, right? IPO or, or something along oh, those lines. Yeah, crowd fund, right? But you can do all these. You can have self financing through your customer base. All these other things that can rapidly expand you. Yeah, and uh, a part you can uh, go into partnership with another yep. company, and uh, you know, so so it's just it's a it's another landscape that you have to learn. And, and, and the, the, listen, the number one biggest mistake I see entrepreneurs make nowadays is they jump right into angel funding. Right. Yep, and, and sure. I, you know, and I, I just think it's a mistake, you know, I, I, well, let's stick on that right real quickly. So I don't know when you start your business, but you and I are approximately the same age. All right. Yeah. Plus or minus a couple of years. It doesn't yeah, 30, matter. 32 years ago. There you I go. Started. So I'm like 30. So we're good. All right. So real quickly, back when I was starting companies, we were always taught fundamentally. And, and you know, I started out on Wall Street very early that good deal first, money second meaning that the company had to be generating revenue. The company should be self-sustaining, even on a small scale, before you bring on funds. You don't use funds to prove out an idea. You don't use funds on a black hole research. You don't use funds for the magical product market fit, which is ass backwards. You should have product market fit from the very beginning, or you shouldn't be creating the damn company. And so many people these days are, are taught that, okay, go out there, get angel financing, try to get a seed round from VC, uh, incubator accelerator funds on a small scale and prove it out. Bullshit. You don't need money at all in the very, very beginning stages to prove out an idea. That's We've right. done it multiple different ways, everything yep. else. I know your market doesn't necessarily there, uh, who your customer base, but in terms of dealing with products and ideas and companies, you shouldn't need it at that very beginning stage. You know? Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, that's the thing that people, listen, I'm, you're a bigger uh, business 
you're a bigger entrepreneur. You've done bigger things than I have. Okay. I, I never, I always wanted to hit singles. Sure. I didn't want to hit home runs. It wasn't my thing. Right. I just wanted singles. Sure. I wanted to have a certain good quality of life. Would I like to hit home runs? Yes. Okay. Um, but, and that's my, my point being is that your idea will de- of your business and the business you're in will determine if angel funding is for you or if it's not. So angel exactly. funding comes into play when you have a really, really big idea that is going to require mon- a lot of money to get to it to be 30, 40, $100 million. <laughs> To I mean, grab market share. Yeah. To, well, to grab, you know, a very large portion of yes, it. That's or, where or to create it. Because an angel funder only, they don't get your money. Just so everybody knows, an angel funder doesn't get his money when your company makes money. It doesn't get that as money. Your, your angel funder gets his, the investor gets his money when there is an action uh, to sell the company. Uh, to uh, to merge it with other companies, to go public. Uh, that's monetization when event. That, yeah. That's when they get it, which is a long time. And, and they want a 10x value. They want to get 10 times the amount of money they put into it. And there's probably a certain uh, time frame too. Yeah, but, but even so, this is what I don't think they, they, they really understand is that that's what they try to shoot for. But they want a better return, meaning they're not looking at markets that are just a 10x. They want markets that have a much higher multiple because then it ends up being a 10x. They're lucky to get one that has that 10x and that's the way the math works out. But they're shooting for markets that they're a hell of a lot bigger. And so it's either all or none usually. Yeah. And so let let me give you another, the opposite example, right? I have this really great company called Elite Funeral Funding, where we buy life insurance policies when people pass away. We give the money in advance so that they have the money and don't have to wait for insurance to pay. And it's a really great company. Um, No angel funder is ever going to be interested in giving us money for that business because it's a very mature market. It's a cash flow market. There's never going to be a liquidity. A, a big liquidity event. Um, and there's going to be like, no, I'm, I don't really, you but, know. but hear me out. But at the same time, you can make an argument that it could be a private equity deal. It's something that certain family offices, because it's boring, because it doesn't have, uh, let's say, uh, this huge exponential annually growth that they can do, they'd be interested in that because it's not going to go away. And I agree. Because there was a need. And yes. so that that's the type of stuff that's boring, but it actually makes the real money. Yes, I agree with you. And uh, and what uh, the example I was using is in regards to angel funders who are looking for the company to do a ten x exactly. or, or a large like that. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I mean we're we're looking at those things too. It'll be exciting when it actually happens. Um, it will. Um, and so you know, I so the point being is most businesses, most all the most of the owners who are listening to this, okay. You have what I, I never like this term, but it, it's called the quality of life business. Okay, or lifestyle. You're, yeah, you're going to. What it means is that you're going to make some good money. You don't have to work for somebody else. Yep. Right. You as you continue to work, your hours will go down, <laughs> and you'll you'll maybe potentially. Uh, well, it's harder to sell that type of business too. It but is. But it's just like the businesses I have have all been quality of life businesses. They've made me, I've been, and I think the value, I, listen, I think the number one most important thing that entrepreneurs need to know 
in, in if you're not going to go for this big, huge watermelon is, uh, is you need to be increasing your net worth. That's the name of the game. I don't care what you, what you're making at the company. Are you increasing your net worth? And if you're increasing your net worth, and then and that means is, are you spending like crazy on yourself? Are you buying Jaguars and Porsches and big houses and you have huge mortgages? Because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Every 10 years, there's a recession. Yep. And you're going to get screwed. And I have a partner that literally has a company that that's what he does. He looks for that. So he looks for like uh, plastic injection molding companies where they bought the house or the two houses. Uh, they have the, the wow. nice cars and everything else. Wow. And sure enough, recessions come. He buys them at an insane discount. Is <laughs> just able to wait it out. And then two years later, he's back in the black. Wow. He literally just pounces on What them. a great uh, lead generator there. Yeah. Not a great. I like that idea. That's smart. Um, we have time for one more last landmill, a landmine. landmine. Uh, why don't you tell us one last big one that you think? Litigation, uh, by far. Litigation. All right. Now, here's the thing. When anybody has litigation, the first thing typically that they do is they get sphincter flutter. Uh, it's a type of thing that they let it dominate their emotions. They let it dominate their mental state. Uh, they let it dominate their time. It becomes almost in a way like a tar baby or a black hole uh, that is self-imposed that you can't get out of. Now, when you've been around and you've had a couple businesses and you've been down that road before, uh, literally you look at it as like, okay, it's just another day. It's something that's going to work its way out. It's something that's not going to kill you. You just keep going uh, and you basically just fight in whatever way that you can. But litigation can typically be prevented many times by simply saying, I'm sorry, by simply going ahead and picking up the phone and eating a spoonful of shit. Uh, and that's the one thing that founders typically don't do. Uh, go out there and, and do that uncomfortable thing and see if there's a path uh, to go ahead and end the litigation because it's a hell of a lot better and a hell of a lot less costly than what you're going to go through. Nobody it, comes out winning with litigation on either side of the fence. I completely it, agree. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And I, I would say too, this is the other thing is my experience with uh, – very inexperienced entrepreneurs is they don't understand the court process. Yes. Too, right. And you don't realize how long it's going to take for, um, for the litigation. The, uh, uh, therefore it's super expensive. Yes. I can see, I saw cases after cases where somebody uh, said, Oh, fuck you. I'm just going to sue you. Right. right. And they go to sue you and they're in it and they're in it and it's all emotions. And yes. then it's, it's 20, 30, $50,000 later. And then guess what happens at the end? Everybody yeah. just uh, goes back and negotiates uh, a term. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so it's, it's, it's a big waste of time. I completely agree with you. Um, I, I have some friends who have businesses and they're, they're litigious in nature anyway. Right. And it's like, I'm like, why are you putting yourself? And by the way, when you go through that litigious scenario, um, you take a part of yourself away from your business. Uh, and also you take a part away from just, I, and I'm not going to say this in a tree huggery way, but from your soul. 
Yes. I mean, dealing with that stuff on a day-to-day basis uh, and really dragging you away from the thing that you love, if you love your business, which I do, and you know, I love growing it, I love you know, pushing it and seeing where I can take it. Dealing with that stuff is like doing taxes. It's, it's, it's even worse than taxes because there's that emotional element and it's all negative emotion. So you know, the, the key is to get a mental callus very, very quickly, very quickly. Yeah, I remember something. My my, I had a mentor for twenty five years. 20, 25 years. He said to me, he, um, I, I went in there. I was, I was young when I was started working with him. I was twenty six, and I go, I go to him. I'd say, I, I go, I have to get meaner because people in business, they're meaner and they screw people over. And I, I'm not that way. I got be. He said to me, he goes, Stephen. He goes, that's not really what happens in the marketplace. Right. He goes, just the opposite. Yes. He said, you know, people, they, they, they don't want problems. They want to be, they, 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 I wouldn't say they want to, fair isn't a good word, but he says they just, you know, they, it, it's a lot more kinder than you think it is. And it is. I, I find it in my early days, you know, based in New York and everything else, I, I viewed the same way. And I don't know if it was an, uh, an immature thought of view, but, you know, I was very cutthroat and, and that's the way I viewed it. It was cutthroat. I, I didn't really feel for the people I was involved in. Now I do just the opposite. And it took me a while. It took me until I think having kids uh, to really see it. But it's more about collaboration. Yeah. It's more about people doing the right thing at the right time, not only for themselves, but for the business. And if you do it the right thing by your people, 99.999% of those problems go away. It's literally just doing the right thing. It's simple maybe, as that sounds. Yeah, maybe it has to do with the idea that, you know, now we have money and now it's not like the end all to end all. It's not like the biggest deal in our lives. Sure. I mean, not we're taking, you know, I don't, I don't know about you. I'm not taking these humongous risks where I can lose all my money. I just don't do right. that anymore. So, um, you know, maybe, uh, plus, and I think I'm sure it was an experience back then as well. So, um, well, good. You know, listen, that's, uh, it was a great conversation. I know we can kind of go on and on and on about the landmines, but we kind of, you know, broke it down to some really important things. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to thank so very much, uh, Chris Joyce from Gusher for coming on to today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Uh, please also give us a review if you really like today's podcast or the other, any of the other ones, as long as it's five stars. And if you are looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Chris, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Sure. You can find me anywhere on the web, LinkedIn, et cetera, but you can definitely go to gusher.co, G-U-S-H-E-R.co, and I'm right there. And Chris's last name is spelled J-O-Y-C-E as well. So, um, so Chris, thanks for being on today. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. So uh, my takeaway from this today is you always have to be learning as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. And, you know, and if you can find, find that guy with the snow on his roof, you know, Chris, I have never been asked to be a, to be a mentor. For right? real. Yeah, never. Have you ever asked to be a mentor? I've never been asked to be a mentor, but hear me out. I never had a mentor. Yeah. Right. And, and it's like, I, I, and I know that is something that people search out for and do and everything else. I act as a mentor to 300 founders by de facto. Yes. Uh, but, but I've never been asked. And, but you said you had a mentor. I had an amazing man. He was the smartest man I ever met. 
he introduced me to one of the businesses I have too. And let me tell you what he what, what he did for me, what was the biggest deal. It wasn't what he told me. It was the encouragement he gave me. He would come in and say, wow, you're doing really well. I'd be like, I'm doing terrible. <laughs> and, right. and he's like, you just grew, you know, like 300% last year. You know, he, he, he always made me feel better. And I met with him every quarter uh, for 20 years at, over lunch. Sure. And he was amazing. I, I, he was the smartest man I met. So that, you're very lucky. I'm sure you know this to have someone of value like that in your life. Well, I did seek oh, yeah. it out. So to be honest, I did seek it out. So it Good was, yeah, and I think it made a big difference in my career. So other That's than awesome. that, yeah, I want to wish everybody a great uh, 2023. And we're into January 2023. Uh, if you had a good year, you're, you're happy. If you had a bad year, glad it's over. So, see you later. <laughs>